Welcome to Ars Arcanum, a podcast about Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere series and universe. We are exploring it. We are really turning over the rocks and seeing what is crawling underneath. God. Um, I'm Nora. I'm joined by one of my two co-hosts, whose name is... Autumn. So... Damn it. Damn it. You set us up for failure. (laughs) I assumed that you would just let them go first. (laughs) But you gestured at me. I gestured ambiguously. You gestured at me. I didn't. Nora, you're such a you're such an imp. (laughs) (laughs) On the one microphone we've got Autumn. Hi. And on the other one, we've got Tilly. Hi there. As mentioned before, I'm Nora. What do we do on this? Well, we talked about Cosmere, but like, do we have a... I mean, I don't know. in the past, we've like talked about other stuff that we've been reading at the top yeah. of the episode. I was trying to set Nora up to set a segue us into that, and then she didn't take the bait. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, but here, let me, let me fashion a harpoon... Out of bone <laughs> and hook us in to talk about the books that we've been reading this month. God. Okay. Gideon the Ninth. Yeah, I forgot. We're, I'm been... like a third of the way through Harrow the Ninth at the moment. So. so we did a whole big export about Gideon the Ninth, which is a book that everybody on the planet loves and we like, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I... I listened to that export, and I, I it did not really make me want to read Gideon the Ninth. The thing is that I had a good time reading it, but mm-hmm. everything I have to say about it is negative. The experience of reading the, the writing of the author is fun and entertaining. Mm-hmm. The voice yeah. is very nice. Um the characters are fun to be around for the most part when you yeah. can remember which one is which. I remember just fine. I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> there are fewer and fewer of them as the book goes on. <laughs> yeah, that helped. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was mostly that, to be honest, I think the primary reason, the primary thing that has me like, yeah, I don't really want to read Gideon the Ninth, as opposed to like, ah, oh, maybe I'll check it out, is that... um it seems very epic in its mm-hmm. style, mm-hmm. and Brandon is also kind of epic. In I mean, he's epic in a different way that I like. But you yeah. know what I'm talking about right now, and it's not like the like length of his books. I'm talking about like the the sense of humor. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's kind of. I, I think that I have about all that I can take of that sort of thing from brandon to some extent i hadn't thought about like reading gideon the ninth in my brief uh hiatus from this podcast so that like i did not have to read like serini doing epic owns on hraithen while also reading gideon the ninth probably helped a lot to be fair brandon doesn't put memes in his book that's fair (laughs) Um, but like (laughs) that's that's the thing though is that like Brandon wouldn't directly put memes in his book, but, like, his his characters, ha- the way that they joke around with each other, like... Is meme Yeah. The, the, the thing from this week where Serini's like, he engages in traitorous conferences because he's bored? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Things, yeah. They, they sound like... Uh, Sherlock. What's the guy who wrote Sherlock? Stephen oh. Moffat. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. the meanest thing you've ever said. But there, there's wow. a lot of Moffat-esque writing in Elantris. I mean, I the thing that you trace back to Moffat, I trace back to Whedon, which that's is fair. worse. It's fair. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I feel like this, 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 this style of of humor, this particular flavor of writing voice i think there's a lot of different like origins for it yeah um and it's definitely i don't want to i don't mean to imply that it's identical in gideon the ninth and uh and in like elantris clearly different Mm -hmm. books um but just uh yeah man a book with memes in it (sighs) (laughs) they have it as a quote on the cover that there are memes in the book Oh yeah, no. Clearly, that's a selling point, um, and that too is something about which I <laughs> well, feel I mean, a little tired. The because there are two main selling points of the book that there's memes and that there's lesbian necromancers, uh-huh. and like another big thing with my enjoyment of the book. And once again, I like the book. I just only have negative things to say about it. <laughs> Go off. <laughs> but people make it real easy. Um, people do make it real easy. Um. I am not a lesbian. Um, I am, like, in fact, often feel alienated from, like, lesbianism as a culture um, mm-hmm. in a way that, like, look, there's lesbians in it is, like, okay, neat, you know, <laughs> for me. But more specifically, we were complaining that that's all people say about the book. Yes. Is that yeah. it's lesbian necromancers in space. That's on the cover of the first one. Mm-hmm. There's, that's such a... That sounds like it's a, a a really good description of what a book is doing, but it is actually very very little information. Yeah, that was the thing was that like when the book was kind of like kind of a Hunger Games, kind of a murder mystery, kind of a bunch of other things. That was when I started to realize, man, I wish they had told me like what the plot was instead of just lesbian necromancers in space, you know. Yeah, I, I feel like this is this makes me think of a thing that I'll see sometimes on on Twitter. Uh, I, I guess this is kind of a book Twitter thing, or it's also kind of like a fandom, like fanfic Twitter thing. And neither of those is really a type of Twitter that I'm all that deeply immersed in. But sometimes I see posts like this that are like, oh, imagine uh, a story that goes like this. And someone describes like a rough set of uh you know plot beats and maybe it'll be something like uh we really need more uh corruption arcs not redemption arcs or something like that you Mm -hmm. know what i mean some sort of very general statement about what kind of plot arcs or character types you want to see in the world and very often that type of posts idea of like what is a kind of story? <laughs> it's very different from my idea of what a yeah. kind of story is. You know? Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I think that, you know, it comes from, usually I think what's happening with those kinds of posts, like very often the way that I think about it is that people are like, damn, where can I find something like X? And it's like, well, actually there's a lot of X. It's just that, 
that's not what the specific type of books that you read are like. Like, mm-hmm. fanfic isn't like that, but, like, that's the, you know, the redemption arc, corruption arc thing is like that because lots of stories are about people getting worse, actually. It's just that not a <laughs> lot of a certain type of book is about people getting worse, you know? There is a um, an infamous forum post from a couple years ago that was like, <laughs> hey, are there any books out there like Kentucky Route Zero and Night in the Woods? Right. And <laughs> the answer is that there are a zillion books like that, <laughs> but like uh, either this person doesn't read a ton and so doesn't know that, or there aren't many video games that are like this, or... Um, maybe they're looking for YA books that are like that. I don't, I don't really know. I didn't read the thread, but just that, 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 uh, subject line is just very funny because there are a lot of books that are like that. It's just that it's not, maybe not in your wheelhouse. And so it's very funny to see someone like, be like, oh, does this exist? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I, I think that, uh, that sort of whole constellation of understanding like what you're gonna sell a book on is part of like i think that's the culture that the phrase lesbian necromancers in space appeals to kind of yeah it reminds me of that fake storm pilot book that people that like del rey was publishing that like that the big pitch on it was just a list of tropes (gasps) was literally like a list of ao3 tags no. God. Oh wait, 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 wait. That? Is this the is this the one that's like just like Finn and Poe yeah. with the number style dot? Okay, yeah. No, actually, this owns. It's very funny that the people who used to publish Star Wars books are now just publishing Star Wars fanfic books. Actually, it's good. <laughs> but like the announcement was like a big postcard image with just a list of Ao3 tags that would be in the book, <laughs> and it was like. Okay, Actually, that but what, but what happens in it? What's the book about? Mm-hmm. Boy, that's. Oof. Then I read some Goodreads reviews about that book a year, months later. Um, doesn't seem that good. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like maybe when you come up with a, well, we want to have there was only one bed. We want to have um, corruption. We want to have redemption. Blah blah blah. Maybe you don't write a good book because you're not coming from like. Ooh, what if you did Star Wars pilots, but blah, blah, blah. It seemed to have some unintentionally weird things to say about uh, uh, empires and war crimes. What? (laughs) A Star Wars book? (laughs) Look, Star Wars itself has very little to say about that. I do feel the need to, like, uh, I guess stick up for like fanfic culture a little bit because Mm -hmm. like it's it is a culture i think that gets kind of uh shit on in a misogynist way a lot oh yeah Um, the the thing that is like sad to me is to see this very specific and in some ways very limited approach to literature being kind of turned into a a a very clear marketing tool Mm -hmm. um but I don't necessarily think, even even though I think that there is something that's a little, like, limited about approaching the idea of fiction as a, a yeah, like a list of tropes you want to see fulfilled. I also don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with being like, damn, you know what would be a really nice comfort read right now? A story about, like, a couple people getting snowed in together and, like, they have mm. to share a bed. I think that would, like, be really fun to read. 
Because, like, that's what, that's what romance novels have always been. Right. And there's always been literature that, that fulfills, like, kind of tropey wish fulfillment interests. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I mm-hmm. just think it's, it is Maybe sad if. You go. It's sad if that's how you want all literature to work. Yeah. Well, and it's also, I think, like, when you get into the cross-section of, like, I want this comfort food, like, I want to um, read a book that has this trope that I like because that's just, like, comforting, when that intersects with, this book is the representation because lesbians are in it, that, Uh that just makes everything kind of weird and fraught, uh, I think, um... I mean, you're you're literally like marketing the book based on like, are you a lesbian? You should read this book then, you know. And it's just like, gross. Yeah. It's just gross. Um, I, I I totally agree that that shit is gross. And and like I I think that uh, you know, I think the idea that sort of um, like comfort food reading and representation are like two things that always go together is like very weird. Actually, yeah. <laughs> like I understand some logic of it, where it's like, yeah, if I want to be comforted, I would also like to be reading something where, like, I can imagine myself in the story. And so, if it's a totally like cishet world, then yeah, that kind of sucks from that perspective. But like on the other hand, you know, um, <laughs> that's how I want to like see my life as a queer person represented is like purely through comfort food like that's not what my life is i there are other things that are part of queer experience mm-hmm. right um without getting i don't want to get too far afield but then i had another thought bouncing off of that which was just that like reading salem's lot uh, maybe last month maybe two months ago was so interesting because like that is like sort of my comfort food thing of like vampires and rural america um and like small towns with dark secrets um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it is also the most homophobic book i've ever (laughs) read in my life um in and for the most part in a way that was almost funny to me there was one there was a couple scenes that really crossed the line but it was interesting that like oh my comfort food book also involves a lot of like actual like homophobia like the gays are going to kidnap and kill your children you know like it's just it was a very interesting experience i think that like honestly you know this is not how everyone experiences like comfort fiction but but that is that is often how it is for me as well is that like it's it is because something is comforting in some other way that i uh don't feel bothered by the ways in which it is, you know, homophobic or misogynist, which isn't to say like, oh yeah, I just get to write all those things off. It's my right to say that they don't matter because I like (laughs) the book. Like, that's not what I mean. But more just like, they don't get to me in a personal way because I'm having so much schlocky fun with something else that's a part of this story, you know? Right. Um, More often than like, more often than feeling like, oh, well, I need it to be non-cruel in this way in order for me to feel comfortable. Which Mm -hmm. I think is how some people feel, and I I think that's legitimate, you know? Mm -hmm. But it's just not, yeah, not how I experience fiction. (laughs) Is Moby Dick a corruption arc? 
Um, so, <laughs> I mean, it, so the answer to that depends on the ending of the story, right? Mm. And I don't totally know the ending of the story of Moby Dick, but I also kind of know the ending of the story of Moby Dick because it's culturally ubiquitous mm-hmm. to some extent. So I have kind of gathered that, uh, probably Ishmael is the only survivor, like the Pequot is gonna wreck. Um, which... I think makes it overall a tragedy. So I think it is a story about like people being doomed by their own actions and like becoming like worse over time in some sense. Mm -hmm. So my answer is maybe yes. (laughs) (laughs) But also, God, what a stupid question. Well, I'm just going to I'm just going to type god what a stupid question in the chat so I can remember what a good title is. Um all I know is that it's a prequel to Disney's Pinocchio. Oh my god. <laughs> That's monstro. Fuck off. <laughs> Sora's going to be in there someday. <laughs> oh my god. Sora Sora going to the Moby Dick world and like hanging out hanging out with Ishmael. Ishmael, perhaps the only character in fiction more obliviously gay than Sora. Sora voice <laughs> sperm. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Sora could definitely get married and be like, damn, I really love this like friendship ceremony that we've done. <laughs> I mean, that's what happened so that he and Riku have matching, like, stained glass wedding keyblades. Key that's right, that's right. I forgot that some shit like that did. I, I have only a vague grasp of Kingdom Hearts. Anyway, that's basically also what happens in Moby Dick, um, is that, like, Queequeg uh, tells Ishmael that they're married, and then they both have keyblades, and Ishmael's like, this is this is normal. <laughs> Tilly, what have you been reading? <laughs> Sorry, I just felt a little accused at that moment. No, no, no. I was no, just like, I know you w- well. I, I know you weren't trying to, to, to own me in any way. It was just like, damn, wh- what have I been reading that that's what I'm thinking about? Um, Apparently Moby Dick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm always reading Moby Dick. Um, I, uh, I actually haven't read any other like i guess prose like like i I don't have like a super great poll right now because um it's like well i read perfect state and i talked about that on the bonus app extensively (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh and i've been still reading return to the world but that's that ongoing read aloud thing um Mm -hmm. and uh i i have been Reading a lot of Umineko, which is <laughs> which is kind of a fantasy novel, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I like I, I I feel like people who want to talk about Umineko all the time are a little bit of a a, a joke uh, sometimes on the internet. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, I'm probably going to read Umineko next year and become that person, so it's fine. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, it is, it's fucking good. It was making me really, like, 
it was it was asking me serious questions and I was like really grappling with myself over my relationship to like the concept of belief in the supernatural um because like I don't think it's a spoiler to say that arguing about whether or not magic is real and like what would it mean if magic were real like what things how would we interpret the world if that were the case um that's like the central focus of Umineko. um and uh you know there are definitely a lot of ways to to go about that kind of central topic that are a little cheesy or that are things I've seen before or that are kind of, uh, you know, obnoxious, like, atheist online arguments. Um, but I honestly think that, like, Umineko takes extremely seriously the idea that people might have really good reasons for believing in what appear to be absurd superstitions. And, like... Mm -hmm. It really wants to think through, like, what is the social function accomplished by believing in, like, miracles or magic? Like, what does that, what can that get you? Why would someone want to do that? Um, and it's also very, like, thoughtful about trauma. I know everyone says that about, like, every piece of art, uh, but it's fucking true. <laughs> um in, in the sense that, you know, when it's asking why might people want to believe in the supernatural, um, at least one answer is, well, because their life, as they currently experience it, is unbearable. Um, and it's like, yeah, all right, that's the realest shit that I have personally experienced, is, like, the concept of, like, belief in the supernatural is a response to a life situation you can't tolerate. Like, that's, mm -hmm. I want to learn about that. I want to think about that. It's really cool. Um, and it is also, you know, like, just, there are also, like, demon bunny girls and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, well, is... why didn't you lead with that? I'm in. <laughs> this is, okay, so, Umineko at first seemed interesting to me, and then there are a handful of people online who maybe have hyped it up too much, and I've been like, Okay, tone it down, everybody. I'm gonna go play Tsukihime instead. <laughs> and mm -hmm. what everything you just said is the most interested I have ever been in Umineko. So I will maybe bump it up to like next month instead of next year. <laughs> I don't know. I look forward to hearing Autumn tell me about Umineko in the yes. same way that they told me about Gundam and Gundam Zeta and Gundam <laughs> Double Zeta two it's years Zeta ago. It's Zeta Gundam and it's Zeta Gundam and Gundam Double. No. Yeah, no, that's that's right. Zeta Gundam and Gundam Double Zeta, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, if we're wrong about this. So Shit. what you're saying is that Zeta is only the beginning of the title. <laughs> but yes, I did um, just call you after finishing Zeta and explain the impl entire plot of yes. the show to you. <laughs> because I don't have time to read Umineko. Mm. Yeah. It I is ha very long. Yeah, and... Um, I have two podcasts where I play video games every month and a podcast where I read a book every month or like uh -huh. work toward reading a book. Um, and so I just don't have the time for um, Umineko. But I did watch a fun video comparing its length to other things. <laughs> <clears throat> and apparently Umineko is one third as long as One Piece is currently or was like a year ago. A, that seems difficult to compare because they are fundamentally different mediums. 
Yeah, I think that the video was like... Was it comparing the Umineko manga to the One Piece manga? It was like the average reading speed mm. of, that most people have for like a page of text or like a text box or like average play speed of Umineko or something. So they were trying to measure something like how many hours it would take you to read all of One Piece versus to read all of Umineko? Yes. Okay. That, no. That... Or was it to watch... It was watch the One Piece anime. Sorry. Mm. It was hours spent in Umineko versus hours spent if it was... If you watched like three episodes of One Piece in an hour. I see. Okay. You okay. gotta trim those trim those EDs. Nobody really cares. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah, like <clears throat> I, I won't deny. It's it's very long and it, it goes into a lot of detail on stuff in a in a way that like I think that that's just kind of what visual novels are like sometimes, is like that they they can be kind of repetitive and they can kinda go into a lot of bless you. Uh, they can go into a lot of detail on, like, you know, what exactly people are thinking in in a in a moment. Like, um, you know, the way that, like, in a regular novel, uh, like, if you compare, like, a film to a novel, right, uh, the novel can, like, have description of the internality of, of the characters in a way that, like, a film really can't. Um mm-hmm. For some reason, just stylistically, the visual novels that I've played seem to be even more so like that than mm-hmm. most, like, print novels that I've read. Um, I've, I've realized the, the thing here um, is that I had something like this in my life previously. This sort of very long and detailed text that, mm-hmm. I, that I got really into... Um, and it's embarrassing because there was a time in my life where I was putting my time into reading Neil Stevenson books. Oh, yeah. No, those definitely have a similar vibe, to be honest. Like, um, because I also, I also read a lot of Neil Stevenson books. Um, I remember some very, uh, one thing that Neil Stevenson's work has in common with, uh, Umineko is, like that they there is a, a sense of like accelerating twists at a certain point right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um uh that definitely happens in umaneko as well it's like oh my god uh the like arguments between beatrice and battler are going back and forth and you think one of them is totally losing but then like all of a sudden it changes <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah this that like very long text that has like oh i'm today i'm going to learn about flight patterns or like how how air traffic control works yeah um because it's a huge plot point in D how planes work yeah lots of lots of like what lots of details that are not actually extraneous because the story is written in such a way that you need all this stuff mm-hmm <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was just realizing that there there was a point in my life where an, an Umineko would have hit me, um, mm-hmm. and I'm no longer at that point, so we'll see. But I respect everyone who is living their Umineko best lives. Umineko <laughs> respecter, Nora Blake. That's me. <laughs> uh, I'm cheering you on from the sidelines and um, muting the word Umineko on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
That's that's very valid. Because <clears throat> what um, if I do want to read it someday? I don't want spoilers. Yeah, no, totally. I, <laughs> Until well, I uh, explain it to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's I, been... Go on. I was just going to say, my first introduction to it was just seeing Beatrice's face as, like, memes for years. <laughs> before even knowing what... I assumed it was fate. I thought that was a fate character yeah. for years. I mean, I, I can see why. I still don't know what fate is. Uh, I mean, fate is also a, a like, visual novel series and, and, like, also now, like, anime and games and stuff. It's like a okay. sprawling multimedia thing with I, what seems to be multiple continuities as well. Okay. Oh, yeah, definitely there are multiple. There's, like, multiple <clears throat> timelines. Um the the main fate thing like the first ever fate thing is a visual novel called fate stay night which is all about uh this high school kid shiro participating in something called a holy grail war which is like a magic battle royale where mages summon the spirits of like heroes of history uh as beings called heroic spirits and and they uh have a battle royale for the holy grail in a city in Japan. Oh, so <laughs> so they they summon like powerful historic figures and mythical figures to do battle in the fields of justice to determine the politics of Runeterra. <laughs> Shut the hell up! <laughs> and to resolve disputes between Demacia and Noxus. <laughs> Welcome to We Are the Champions, a podcast where we randomly roll. Honestly, I would fucking love a, a champion-style podcast about, like, fate heroes. I mean, it would be about, like, fate Grand Order characters, because that's the, the fate gotcha. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, I would delight in that, because it's going to have, like, the same... You know, it's going to be like, wow, here's this uh, random person who's, like got this art of them in a cool pose with their tits out, and like, oh, okay, also that's, like, a famous conqueror of history. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I think the, 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 like, the ultimate form of that is, like, oh, yeah, we're gonna spend half the episode talking about King Arthur as she exists in Fate, and then the second half is, okay, so King Arthur, <laughs> here's the like historical background of King Arthur as a character, or like, oh my god, La Lan Lancer, La Lancer is there. Yeah, He's Lancer. He well, suffers. There's different... That's all I know. There's different Lancers in different Grail Wars because um, Lancer <clears throat> is simply one of the the classes that can be summoned, oh. right? So you'll have. Depending on which hero is summoned as Lancer and which Grail War, it could be a different one. Um, in Fate I... Stay Night, in Stay Night, it's it's the um, the the Irish hero Cucullin, um, mm -hmm. and uh, he's a dog boy, and he doesn't want to admit that. Um. Is he the one with blue hair? <laughs> yes, that's right. That's the one I know of. Yeah, he's he's yeah being being Lancer is suffering originates with that character. Uh, yeah. But also um, continued with other ones. Yeah, that's why uh, TV Tropes has a page called Lancer. Yeah. That's not why TV Tropes has a page called Lancer. <laughs> should we? Should we talk about Brando? Should we talk oh about Brando? God. Sure. <laughs> well, uh, please look forward to Fate Stay Away, the sequel to We Are the Champions. <laughs> <laughs> God. Um. 
So our usual rhythm has been me doing Raiden, uh, Tilly doing um, Serene, and you doing Harathan, but does anyone want to switch it up, or nope. do you want to keep it? <laughs> you just want to be the short chapter, bastard. I'm good. I'm good with that. With us continuing with this pattern in the the general future. Uh, Alrighty. Okay, then I'm going to just pull up the summary because I'm just having the Serene chapter was so long that I have um, uh, I've forgotten some stuff I feel about Raiden. Which chapter is this? We did nine last time, so this is ten. Yeah, ten, eleven, yeah, twelve. Ten. All right, so. Chapter 10. Um, one sec, actually. God, I'm just looking at this difference in summaries on this page between hmm. uh, Raiden's chapter and Serenity's chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's why I want to keep things the way they are, because I like to talk. And Serenity has long <laughs> chapters. The, okay, good. Because I was, I was asking because I was like, oh, if Tilly doesn't want to do the super duper long chapter, I'm giving them an out. <laughs> But you you signed up for this, so <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm I'm I yeah. Look, it works out because you like to talk and we like to listen. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter ten, Raiden. Uh, I'm gonna read directly from this just to get my memory moving. Um, yeah. I read this this morning and <laughs> I'm gone. I'm a. I was falling I'm, asleep. This reading yeah. this these chapters made me sleepy. I'm just gonna yawn, but then I'm gonna um, just gonna wait in anticipation for these brand new names. <laughs> you're gonna lead us. You're gonna lead us into the future. You're gonna, you're gonna decide. Right. Fucking you're... let me talk. <laughs> Go, fine. Chapter ten. Galadon creates a distraction in the Elantris court courtyard, enabling Raiden to recruit three new Elantrian arrivals into his faction. Uh, Mare, a former housewife, Real, a former handyman, and Salen, uh, who served as a soldier in Lord Iandel's legion. Um, I'm gonna stop the summary here to just say that Galadon does not create a distraction. Um, Rayden says, hey, go to create a distraction, and then shoves him out in front of everybody to get, like, just throws him to the fucking walls. <laughs> <laughs> Raiden asks Mare and Real to build a roof for their headquarters at a former Karathi chapel. Raiden tells Galadon of his plan. Oh, I should stop here too to note that, like, um, Raiden says, Hey, Galadon, the Elantrians were gods. Why were they letting um, another religion um, be worshipped here, the Karathi? And Galadon is kind of like, Eh, they just didn't care that much. Um,. Raiden tells Galadon of his plans to build a sense of purpose for the Elantrians to improve their quality of life. Raiden and uh, Galadon visit Aendin's base. Raiden recognizes the gang leader as a former sc- sculptor named Tan. Uh, Tan. Tan, thank you. Galadon reduces Raiden's... Galadon deduces Raiden's true identity from careless comments, but pledges not to reveal it. Galadon reveals that he was an apple orchard farmer before he was transformed by the Sheod. Um That's one way of describing what he says there, I guess. Yeah, he's very cagey. Raiden tries to press and get some information because Raiden says... 
some fucked up shit. <laughs> I've only got two sentences left on the uh, wiki summary, so we'll do these two sentences and then we'll get into Raid and say, and some fucked up shit. <laughs> um, Raiden inquires why they don't see any children in Elantris, and Galadon replies that Elantris is too harsh a place for children to survive long. And Raiden encounters Ian, who reflects of Ian, his Sion. Sion? Sion. Sion. Sion! (laughs) Raiden encounters Ian, who reflexively reacts to Raiden's raised hand by approaching him, but the Sion shows no signs of recognizing its former master. So, yeah, we have some... uh, We got some fucked up shit that uh, Raiden said, or we can start from the start. Which would you prefer? I don't know that I have much to say about this whole distraction and recruiting thing going on. Yeah, it kind of feels like, um, it, to me, it, it just sort of is a little, like, I don't know, like, it doesn't feel to me like there's any reason in the narrative why Raiden is not, like, being more straightforward with his plans to Galadon. Like, it, the the tension of it just being like, no, just go, and, like, we don't know what Raiden is trying to do, and it, it you know, transpires that he's trying to, like, recruit these people into, like, a a group. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, you know, that's interesting. I'm interested that he's trying to recruit people into a group. But um, it somehow feels as though us not knowing that that's what he's doing at first is, like, trying to build some kind of sense of drama. And it just doesn't really land for me, I guess. Nora said something earlier today that I thought was smart, which was that this might work in, like, a movie or a TV show, yeah. but in a book where we're supposed to just have access to, like, Raiden's internality, it's just weird that he's not ever thinking what his plans are, because yes. he's got them, but he's just not ever thinking them on the page. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I, what I asked was, um, is Raiden Lelouch? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot! I totally forgot! (laughs) I mean, God, Lelouch absolutely, like, fucking, you know, Lelouch hates his king dad, and would definitely, like, own him with facts and logic, like Raiden Mm -hmm. does. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Except that, um, Charles, it's Charles, right? Charles Z. Britannia? Uh, didn't stand for that shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's a lot, he has a lot more, um... Well, also, <laughs> Lelouch has grander plans than Raiden's, uh-huh. which are some reforms so that my dad can stay king, but a better king. Yeah, I know. know. As far as, like, rebellious young prince, um, Raiden is much more of a kind of, like, milk toast liberal. He's definitely not a terrorist. <laughs> if you're saying that Code Geass is more radical <laughs> than, than your story... <laughs> <laughs> that's saying something. Um, but yeah, it was just like, oh, we're just, there's an unnecessary obtuseness here because we want to reveal. And we know from Brandon's notes on Perfect State that he does love reveals. Yeah. I also feel like there's a vibe of like, we're supposed to kind of treat like the way that Raiden is, you know, kind of not treating Galadon very well. It's, seems like we're supposed to find it kind of funny in the way Mm -hmm. that maybe it would be funny if they were like it's kind of like if they were like long-term friends right and so Rayadin kind of knows Galadon is not going to ditch him over him being a little bit of a dick one time 
because they've been de- been like buds for years. It would come across one way, and I think I'd be able to kind of laugh at it. But what it actually is is that Galadon can't leave Rayadin because they are trapped together in Elantris, and there's like nowhere to go. <laughs> so like this kind right. of like when Galadon kind of complains about this, and Rayadin is kind of like, "All right, well, what else are you gonna do?" And it's like, "Ah ha ha, nowhere to go." Like that's not funny. <laughs> what. The thing is that I just realized is that this is two characters from Mistborn that, that he hasn't written yet, which is Kelsier and Doxon. Yeah. And those are characters who have known each other for years, so it works. Mm-hmm. Well, and it doesn't really make sense, too, because it it makes Raiden seem awful because Galadon has just kind of, like, given him a whole bunch of loyalty and a whole bunch of leeway, and Raiden has repaid it by, like... <clears throat> Go be bait twice. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. I mean, also he's a prince, mm-hmm. so no. maybe this is actually super deep commentary no, on not. how royalty <laughs> disregards the. Oh. <laughs> I mean, uh, I do think that, like, at this point in the story, I am kind of enjoying it to some extent. As like, like I, I am enjoying all of these, like jerks we have as protagonists you know what i mean like i don't i'm not really rooting for any of these people to be honest um speaking of not really rooting for any of these people so raiden says hey you're way too smart to be a farmer no (laughs) that's not what he says what's he say he they because they galadon is like i know plenty of farmers who were intelligent and he's like no not intelligent educated you've you're learned you're mm-hmm. you know uh, you've studied things that like farmers don't typically study and this is the don't. only time that brandon ever tries to talk about the difference between education and intelligence ever he will never again draw this <laughs> distinction oh, God. I mean, he will... and I, I the thing that's like a little frustrating here is uh i i do think that um, like, I do think Rayadin, even though, yeah, he's not literally saying you're too smart to be a farmer, I think all of this, like, you couldn't have been a farmer stuff is, I don't really feel like it has that much basis. Um, like. I mean, it literally doesn't have much basis because, like, yeah, everybody gets taken by the Sheod, like, or anybody can be, like. Yeah. Yeah, he could have just been a farmer. <laughs> yes, yeah, and and it's like. It is, I think we really are meant to take, just based on the description of, like, Galadon's body language and stuff, I really do think we're meant to believe that Galadon is hiding something about his past, um, and that there's something interesting about his past, that maybe the farmer thing is technically true, but he's also, I don't know, a warrior or some shit. And, like, it's just weird. I don't know. I was like, oh, was he like a farmer on another planet? Like, what's he hiding? Sure. <laughs> um, what else happened? In- oh, I wanted to talk about the Sions again. Okay. Because I think this happened before, but Rayadin uses male pronoun, masculine pronouns for yes, his Sion. Yes. But the wiki still calls them its. We have like, talked about this on every episode, I think, at this yeah, point, so, because it's a confusing oh. situation. Both, but. Yeah, both sets of pronouns are clearly being used. Like, for example, the Sion, you recognize it, 
is something that uh, Galadon says. But then Raiden later says, speaking of Ian, I never knew a creature, Sion or man, more thoughtful than he. Like on the next page. So they're it's just kind of like a pet. It is. I think it is really probably exactly like a pet. A pet that you can Skype through. It's a cloud pet. <laughs> the Sions are cloud pets. Because you can put the message in with your face. I love you, son. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just, a, it, you know, maybe we have had this conversation in every episode, but I... It's, it's I think it's worth, I think it's worth figuring out. I just don't know what's going on there. Yeah. They're, they're just your pet palm pilot. But they're also, uh you know, definitely sapient and, quote, more valuable as friends than as servants, quote. Yes, but also, you can... We'll get there, but, like, you can just keep one in a box forever and just use it for phone calls, and it's just fine with that, I guess. Oh, my God. We'll get there. Yeah, (laughs) Seons are very upsetting the more we learn about them. Um, yeah... And also, um, isn't that one a girl? Maybe. I, I didn't think, pick up on that. I, I Yes. No, I think you're right. I remember the voice being described as feminine. Oh. So the, the girl is the one in the box. And that's that's that ain't nothing. Ain't that always the way? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think maybe we've talked about everything with the Raiden chapter. <laughs> yeah. Other than the fact that he goes on to like write... Um, blog post about how cool uh Eandel is. Eandel, maybe? Eandel. It will give to him in the next chapter. Oh, and this is another thing of like Raiden reminisces about a character, and then the next Sereni chapter we meet that character with Sereni. Yeah. Uh-huh. <clears throat> the I guess the Aendin not being who he says he is, uh, is significant. Uh something that the summary didn't touch on is that like Aendin seems to have a shaky grasp on reality and is holding mock trials and then executing people. Yeah, um, what's, uh, what's fucking mock about that trial? I mean, I get that it's like uh, uh, like a, a gross miscarriage of justice and all that, but it's not like... There are other words that we use that mean like like a show trial, not a mock trial. Yeah, you know? a mock trial... It's just practice. Mock trial <laughs> is like a, a high school extracurricular... <laughs> Exactly. Were y'all not beheaded in high school? <laughs> I, you know what? I am actually willing to um, just chalk that up to like Brandon being young and not realizing that those are two different terms, and editors not catching it really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Do you think Brandon was like a debate kid? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, hundo. Yeah, I think this book. I think this book makes it very clear he must have been. Or you know, like, cause here's the thing. There's also there's like several things that are like this, right? There's mock trial. There's debate. There's um, oh, what's it called? Like rhetoric, maybe. There's a bunch yeah. of different things that people do forensics. in high school. Yeah, forensics. Um, that are all about like like public speaking, basically. Um, but like. Often the people who do one of those things will like passionately hate the people who do the other ones. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, or like feel that like they're doing it wrong just because of like the subtle differences between these high school things. Yeah. Yeah. So now I like really need to know on some level like, oh, was was Brandon like a mock trial kid? 
Or was he's he been doing... he's been doing some live streams that I've watched occasionally as he's signing copies of Rhythms of War. Um, maybe I'll like write in for the next live stream. Like, were you in debate in high school? <laughs> yeah. What was your favorite extracurriculars? Because you know, you know that guy has like. Um, I just find it. Perhaps this is ridiculous projection, but in my mind, Brandon Sanderson was like involved in a lot of extracurriculars in high school. He probably I've... had a very nice looking like college application. Yeah. Yeah. And fencing was one of them. <laughs> oh god. That was Listen. the only athletic thing that he did. Oh my god. I went to a high school which uh I think probably the best way to get across its vibe. My high school was a a, a private school with about 150 students and the two most popular sports in terms of like just percentage of the student body that played them were first soccer and then fencing. <laughs> okay. So I can't you... believe you went to the Utena High School. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I fucking did. It was really weird. Everyone was really rich and evil. That's not true. Um, that's not actually true. I'm actually still good friends with at least one person from high school who's not evil. I feel the need to say that because uh, she <laughs> she is actually one of the people who introduced me to Utena. So I would feel really terrible saying that she's like basically an Utena character in that sense. Uh, the high school that I would have gone to if I hadn't been homeschooled, um, no, sorry, it was the high school that most of the people at my church went to when I was in high school. Um, I get those confused because I didn't go to either of them, so they're the same place to me. Mm -hmm. uh, they were really into lacrosse. That was the big one. Yeah, mm. lacrosse had started maybe like three years before, at my high school had started three years before I started there, and so, like... There was a big push of like, oh, you play football? Why not play lacrosse in the off season or something? And like, I'll, trying to get a lot of students into lacrosse so that they could keep making lacrosse money. I guess no fucking clue what lacrosse is. I know that you have a little basket. You have a little yeah, you got a little basket on a stick. A I don't scoop. really know what you do with it. I assume there's a ball that you scoop up and toss. And yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you score. That's the main thing. I yeah, I don't have the strongest sense of lacrosse either. I. I, I don't think anyone in my high school played lacrosse. I do remember people who played lacrosse in college, and they were, oh my god, they were real bad. Um, I do want to try lacrosse. Everyone's always talking about how it's not very flavorful, but I, I want to give it a shot. <laughs> Shut up. I've literally, uh, I've got a LaCroix sparkling water uh, with me right now. <laughs> I think they're yeah, pretty good. I mean, good. you like... You like White Claws. It's basically and a non-alcoholic White Claw. The couple the, times I've had it. Yeah. The only good thing about a White Claw, in my opinion, is that it is alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> That's valid. Um, I just like, I don't like drinking water. I like drinking mm -hmm. something with a little bit of flavor. Um, so. So when I lived in Germany, anytime I would get a bottle of water and it ended up being carbonated and I hated it. I hated the taste of carbonated water so much. Well, all right, For me, then. I would rather have either just water or super sugary soda. Like, mm -hmm. I don't... Like, the middle ground for me has just never been. Yeah, that's mm. legit. I've been... I... I've been drinking a little more soda recently. I got some knockoff stevia-based Dr. Pepper. Ooh. Uh, I've been enjoying that. Any generic drink brand with doctor in the name is always good 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Gotta drink that Dr. Oopsie. I, want, I also <laughs> want to try the same brand, uh, not to viral market them, but they, they have a, um, they have something, in addition to having a knockoff Dr. Pepper, they also have a cherry cola. Ooh, um, I love a cherry cola. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I feel like I like both cherry cola and Dr. Pepper, but I haven't had them close enough to each other to actually know what the difference is. Mm-hmm. Jesus, should I talk about the chapter? Should we talk about Serini? Can I say one last thing about Radim? Yes. Yes. Just, um, Andin did not look noble. Of course, few noblemen Radin knew looked very aristocratic. Um. What does it mean? But, um, uh, Andin was not of noble blood. But then, Radin's own father had been nothing more than a simple traitor until chance had made him king. And Elantra's Tan had apparently taken advantage of a similar opportunity. Do you mean to tell me the titles are fake? <laughs> Ooh. Have we stumbled upon a theme? God. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. We're about to talk about titles. Oh boy, mm-hmm. sure. Alright, so yeah, I'm just gonna I am just gonna like read the the summary from the copper mine. Uh chapter eleven, this is the Serini chapter. Keen hosts a gathering for Raiden's allies, and five of the most powerful nobles of Erelon show up, including Aondel, so we talked about that guy already, Baron Shudin, Duke Royal, Count Ahan, and Baron Edan. Those are all my best guesses. Um, I think it's Eondel and Edan, but I think the others were right. Eondel, Edan. Okay, cool. Anyway, um, though many others declined to attend... Uh, specifically, uh, apparently before when Raiden was in charge, he had as many as 30 people as, at these meetings, and now they only have five. So, mm-hmm. uh, Keen tells Serini about each of the nobles' histories and motivations for opposing the king and the wealth-based system of nobility. And so, yeah, there is, like, kind of a, a little, like, introduction to each of these five guys and, like, what their deal is. Um... I, I'll be honest, I, not all of these deals totally stuck with me. It was kind of a lot all at once. Approximately zero of these deals stuck with me. (laughs) So, Andel is the military guy. He is in charge of the, he's General Ironwood. He's in charge of the military. Okay. Yeah, and he Um, has, he owns a small personal army also. Yes. Um, (laughs) He's got his side piece. Um, Baron (laughs) Shuden is... A Jindo, mm-hmm. which uh, is described as he's a person with, I think, dark skin and delicate features. That's right. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know. I, I, think, I thought. I think we're meant to understand. I mean, um, based on the way that Jindoe's food was portrayed before, um, and the word Jindoe's, and also um, like the way that. Shudin is talked about in this chapter. Um, I I think his portrayal is a little orientalist. Yes, yes. for sure. Yes. Um, right. I had forgotten, because Nora asked me about this earlier, and I had forgotten until you just said Jindoe's food, that yeah, like, yeah, this is like a kind of orientalist, maybe like analogous to South Asian, like, uh, yeah, it's kind yeah. of weird. It's hard Not to be great. sure. It, it's hard to be sure exactly what like real world culture is being drawn on here because it's a pretty broad portrayal, and I'm sure no specific. 
Like, Brandon doesn't tend to create actual, like, direct analogs to real-world countries, for the most mm-hmm. part, that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's... His thing is... Okay, right, this is the one that was really super weird. Um, so, the description of him... I've got, like, kind of the paragraph where uh, Keen talks about him. Maybe, could I just read that? Would that be helpful? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, um, that man beside Eondel is Baron Shudin. Jindoese? Serini asked. Her uncle nodded. His family took up residence in Aralon about a century ago, and they've amassed a fortune directing the Jindoese trade routes through the country. When Eodon came to power, he offered them a barony to keep their caravans running. Shudan's father passed away about five years ago, and the son is much more traditional than the father ever was. He thinks Iodon's method of rule contradicts the heart of Shukeseg, which is why he's willing to meet with us. So he has, like, religious objections to Iodon. So two things. First, the next two sentences are, Serini tapped her cheek and thought, studying Shudan. If his heart is as Jindo as his skin, uncle, then he could be a powerful ally indeed. Also, (laughs) I want to point out, you don't have the 10th anniversary copy, do you? Uh, oh, no, that's right. I do have, like, probably the older copy. So is that paragraph different in your version? It is because Brandon got an editor who says, change the word Jindoese. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that makes sense, right? Because it, it it does sound a little awkward, and it, I think, really betrays, like, the... Like, it, it makes you think about, like, oh, what are the nationalities in the real world that end in that sound, you know? Like, it... Yeah. Um, so it just uses Jindo as an adjective in the the updated version. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> that's, that <laughs> I was... guess that's an improvement? I guess? Um, but the, the part that really stood out was, if his heart is as Jindo as his skin, which is like, yo. And she's saying this about someone who is, like... You know, um, his family took up residence in Aralon about a century ago. So this this guy is, you know, a, um, like a... Third generation? Yeah, like a third generation immigrant. Yeah, so like he... Saying that he might not truly be of his ethnic group is potentially mm-hmm. like a really fucked up thing to say. Yeah. Um. And and to like draw the parallel between that ethnic group and like a type of personality, yeah, or like a pers- specific perspective is like, hey, Brandon. It's also great. Uh, I I, I kind of said something like this on the Perfect State episode um, about like a slightly different treatment of, but like kind of a related racial thing. Um, I think Brandon is really hung up on, like, specifically skin and skin color, which makes sense for mm-hmm. a white American to be kind of obsessed with because that's how, like, American racial sort of logic tends to work. But, like, uh, he's writing these totally fantasy settings with what are supposed to be totally fantasy ethnic groups, but a lot of the ways that the characters talk about ethnicity feel extremely like 20th 21st century american to me mm-hmm. uh, and the focus yeah. on specifically skin color is like one part of that and it's weird and it still feels that way when he goes out of his way to talk about other things besides skin color later mm-hmm. uh-huh 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 uh, <laughs> yeah 
Uh, Duke Royale. Royale, please. I I don't know. I I think it's Royale. uh, He is the grumpy old man. Mm -hmm. He's got white hair. He's very thin. Right, okay. And he he has his arch rival slash best friend. No one's really sure which. But Royal, um, uh, Royal, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, sorry, my bad, carry on. (laughs) I was confused. Um, Royal was, is the most powerful man in the room. Is he the one that's super, super rich? He's a duke, so it makes sense. Yeah, um, he's fabulously wealthy. He, the only way Iodon keeps ahead is by including national tax revenues in his own earnings. Mm-hmm. So he's super rich. His rival slash best friend is Count Ahan. Ahan? Ahan? I think it's Ahan. Ahan. <clears throat> Who is um, the portly man. God, I had to pause. I had to pause the audiobook and just do like a big sigh when I got to that. Yeah. Who's that it's sitting bad. next to Duke Royal? The portly man? Portly? The man was so overweight, his stomach bulged over the sides of his chair. That's how we fat men describe each other, Keane said with a smile. Uh, and, and, and then Serene is like, oh, you're not portly. You're robust, Kean. Like, she's in on the joke, too. It's fucked. Yeah, it's, it's bad. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's a little weird. Like, you know, not to not to. I, I do not mean this as a criticism. Uh, Brandon, based on photographs of him, appears to me to be plus size. Uh, mm-hmm. He definitely does put a fair bit of like weird body stuff in his books, though. Yeah. Like, yeah, I th- there are a couple characters in Mistborn who kind of do this same thing of, like, oh, he's a certain way because he is fat. And it's just like, okay, Brandon. Yeah. And it's like, this is clearly, like, this is one of those things where you're like, I mean, like, you know, your uncle and his buddy, who are both, like, fat old men, do joke around this way with each other. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, totally. Like, it doesn't feel inauthentic. It's just kind of like it's when Serini gets in on it, um, and also, that it makes it feel like poking fun at them instead of like lighthearted. And also for me, it's the the bit of like, oh, the man was so overweight that his yeah. weight bulged over the side of his chair. Like, that's the narrative voice, and that's just. You know, fucking. It's yeah. It's one thing for um, Kian to be doing that, and it's another thing for the narrative voice to be doing it. Yes, that's <laughs> basically it. Yeah. Um, and it was like, damn, Keen, you can't get your friend a chair that he can sit in. Like, <laughs> yeah, you've got all like this money, rich. and you can't like just buy a nicer chair. And you're fat too, so like, don't you have any chairs that are comfortable for yourself? Like, <laughs> yeah, only the one. <laughs> God, that is kind um, of an old man power move to only have like one comfy chair and only you get to sit in it. <laughs> um, the last member of this group. Oh right, is Baron Aiden, Edon, Edon, mm-hmm. um, who is the nervous one? He is a very minor noble who is about to lose his title in the next taxing season because he's gone broke or like his production has suffered 
in his crops. I don't. Even, I think he's like rich person broke, where he's probably going to be fine. He just won't get to be a baron anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah, but then what? Ha- where does it go then? What is what is his job then? <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I feel like he's probably you know in danger of some genuinely unpleasant things happening to him, but also like he's probably not going to die. Right. Uh, but also, his holdings border the chasm, and the lands nearby just aren't very fertile. In an attempt to gain a bit more status, he made some risky investments, but lost them. Now he doesn't have the wealth to back his nobility. He's going to lose his title as soon as the next taxing period comes around, and Iadon notices just how poor the barons become. He has to either discover a gold mine in his backyard, or overthrow Iadon's system of allocating noble titles before then. Yeah, so this is all really focused on, like, the, the, the project, the political project that they seem to be working on here is specifically about the system of titles, mostly. Um, like, that seems to be the, the thing that they're worried about, basically. Which, I mean, makes sense, since they are nobles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, what Kean says is, they'll do anything to get rid of this silly system that requires them to prove their wealth. Noblemen will be noblemen, Eni. They're worried about men maintaining their place in society. That itself is just such a... There, there is such a weird presumption in this entire discussion that these guys just are nobility, and that means that they have the ways of thinking and that the interests of nobility, even though ten years ago they weren't. Like, mm-hmm. they don't seem in any way to remember how they thought ten years ago, which is, to be fair... When people's lives change, their perspectives change and all that. But it's like, noblemen will be noblemen is a bizarre thing for anyone to say in Kai. Yeah. Yeah, like, because... Noblemen will be noblemen, bleeding in the streets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, uh. so so the... Uh, to, to continue on... Mm-hmm. Uh, over dinner, the nobles begin their formal meeting, and Serini joins the gathering after an introduction by Keen. The nobles display apprehension at Serini's presence as an outsider, though she assures them of her competence and confidence, and that her presence will be a benefit through her ties to two thrones. Uh, so this is some real, you know, girl boss princess stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never said the same thing. I mean, it's it's what it is. It's, like It's what it is. I don't think it's necessarily, like, it's kind of fun to see her, like make her cool points um mm-hmm. and it's not like you know like to be charitable like this could be more boring in that like yes they are they are sexist about this but they're also just like suspicious of someone who's never been at these political meetings before you know it's not totally nonsense that they are suspicious of her and it also doesn't feel totally nonsense to me that she's able to reassure them you know it's yeah it's also the first time that she hasn't completely owned someone <laughs> mm-hmm. like there's a little bit of back and forth there's like some uncertainty of whether or not she's gonna like win the 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 duel yeah or whatever um which was not the case with raithan or or the king like this is the first time she's actually like been unsure of whether or not her twitter owns are going to like pan out yeah yeah um i also this is this section when they're kind of arguing over whether they're going to let her basically be at this meeting or not. Um, this is uh, this is when Shudin speaks up, the the the, the Jindo noble, mm-hmm. and his like the way his 
speech is written is weird. I think it's trying to be like, I mean, he's explicitly described as wise multiple times. And then Mm -hmm. he has this slightly stilted way of speaking. It's just more, like I said, it's an Orientalist portrayal. I just thought it was worth pointing out like the specifics of it. Like it's not just the fact that there is a vaguely, that the name like has a certain sound or whatever. It's, it's the, the actual character that's being portrayed. Yeah, like, this is a character who wouldn't use contractions. Yes, exactly. Also, uh, just the way he speaks. His words Mm. were very soft, but still distinct. Um, It's just Mm. like this this really specific portrayal of, like, a certain vibe. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And he he also, uh, like, is kind of the one who, like, sticks up for Serene a little bit. He's like... Because he points out uh, she almost was queen. Like, basically, if Raiden was alive, she would obviously be at these meetings. So, you know, maybe we should listen to her. Um, mm-hmm. So he's, you know, he's he's making a point that is sympathetic, I guess. <clears throat> yeah. Um, there's also some stuff in here of, like... Not even the queen herself is that empty-headed. Um, referring to, like, when they realize that Sereni has been faking being dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had to sneak in a little dig against the queen while they're doing that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just gotta. Brandon, why are you like this? I, I... Just to lighten the mood ever so slightly, I tweeted, I think halfway through this, like, it's weird that Mistborn is so good, given that <laughs> I hate this book. Yeah. Like, listeners, if you're like, oh, wow, they're really just shitting on this book all the time. Next time we're reading a book that I fucking love. So. <laughs> I honestly, I, 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 am, I am assuming at this point, because, you know, it's a signature of Brandon Sanderson's writing style that, like, his books get really fucking sick in like the last eighth, you know. Yeah, so <laughs> that's true. Maybe, that's true. Maybe this is just maybe everyone was just blown away when he did that for the first time, and it, they forgave a lot of bullshit. And then in Mistborn, <laughs> he like had I don't know like a real good editor for the first time who was like, "Hey, buddy, um, you did do a really good job with that ending, but how about the rest of the book, huh?" <laughs> <laughs> um. Like, I don't know much about Elantris, but I know that in every Mistborn book, uh, he mentions, like, his beta readers and stuff. And I, al- I also wonder, like, did he just have more people helping him on that one? Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, I mean, like, look, I on some level, I can't, you know, uh, be unhappy that uh, Elantris did get picked up. Because yeah. if it hadn't, maybe the rest of his career would not have kicked off and we wouldn't have these other books that I like much better, but... <laughs> we would be doing some other podcast. Yeah. We'd be talking about Fate Stay Night. <laughs> We'd be doing our Locke Lamora podcast. God. I haven't read those oh, wait, books. No. They seem good. I, I thought you were talking about the Rothfuss books. No. Oh, I was like, oh. Heavens no. We're not talking about those. Someone at work recently was like, "Have you? I know you really like those Sanderson books. Have you read these Patrick Rothfuss books? I was like, oh, you know what? They're on my list. They look really good, but I just haven't gotten to them. Well, one of them does look really good because it has, uh, in the bookstore, the edges of the pages are all red. That's neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's, 
all I can say about Patrick Rothfuss. <laughs> I, I read I read those books. I it's true they're not very good. Um, this is just mm-hmm. the episode of me admitting like dude fiction that I've read, huh? Because like <laughs> Stevenson Look, and Rothfuss. <laughs> I've just had throughout my life a certain thirst for the dude's rock lifestyle. Um, <laughs> and I think I've, among us. Yeah, and I think I've been satisfying it through, you know, like kind of bad SFF fiction. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. dinner. <laughs> right, so yeah. Uh, you know, and, uh, of course, Keen is, like, cooking dinner and is, like, roasting a whole pig, and there's lots of fucking banter about him cooking, like there always is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Serini learns of a traditional ritual called the Widow's Trial, which is performed by newly widowed Aralene ladies and involves charitable work. Um, there's kind of a, like, I don't know, I, I guess it's kind of suggested that, like, maybe she should do this, but, like, Maybe she doesn't have to. It's not clear if it's a ritual that she really needs to do or not. Um, like, uh, Eondel brings it up, and then Keen is like, oh, come on, you don't expect her to do one of these, do you really? Um, we don't really learn much about it. It's weird that we don't learn much about it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird thing, because um, they bring up, they talk around it a lot, and she's like, what is it? And then they talk around it a lot. And then after they finish, she's like, damn, I realize now that I didn't actually get a, an answer to my question. I'll have to corner Keen later. It's like, did you just, like, did an editor ask you to put that last line in to, to like, acknowledge the fact that the question wasn't answered? <laughs> I thought for a second, like, I thought she was going to have to do, like, combat or something like it's so <laughs> vague like what and what what is the purpose for like vaguely alluding to a well-known cultural institution and like i don't i don't get it's this. also um one of the traditions that iodon decided to hold over from the old days so like is this did the elantrians do this i mean he does say that is that is what Ahan says, the Elantrians used to do something similar whenever one of their kinds died. Um, so. But, 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 like, it is, no, it's a weird thing. Um, it does feel like kind of awkward foreshadowing. Um, I will say that, like, I don't find the way that Serini, like, isn't able to get a straight answer about it in the moment and only kind of fully realizes that later on. That, that makes a certain kind of sense to me because I'm thinking about, like, the times when I was at dinner parties with a bunch of, like, like mm-hmm. uncles, um, and how, like, it can be kind of hard to, like, get everyone to tell you anything. Uh, like, I think that's the vibe that is being meant to be given here, is like, oh, here's this teen girl, and, like, she's pretty spunky, but she's a little bit in over her head, and, like, uh-oh, there's some cultural customs that she doesn't really know anything about, and no one will really explain it to her. Um, I don't really think it's, like doing an amazing job at that but like that's what i think it's aiming for yeah it's a real experience that i think uh gets in the way of enjoying the novel (laughs) (laughs) a little bit yeah yeah um so uh you know there's that whole thing and and then um as part of this uh kind of at the end of this conversation this is not in the summary but i think this is actually pretty important um she kind of suggests the idea that she needs to, like, start participating more in, like, the court. 
Uh, and so she comes up with this scheme where she's going to basically go on dates with all these uncles. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, uh, I guess that's going to, like, help her, like, be at, like, social events at the court and therefore know what's going on at the court. And that'll be useful for their political goals, I think, is the logic at work here. Brandon just likes balls. I think Brandon also really likes, um, like, spunky young women hanging out with old men. Yeah, yeah, he kind of does, doesn't he? It feels a little (laughs) bit, it makes me think of, like, the vibe that, like, Wolverine always had in, like, Claremont X-Men. Do you know what I mean? What a specific poll, but yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. This fundamentally benevolent but kind of scary old guy, and he's always hanging out with this fourteen-year-old girl who's like kind of getting herself into scrapes, and he's maybe helping her with them. But like, there's... but the, the the fundamental when I think of anything Claremont wrote, um, that is a man who was incredibly in touch with his own kinks Uh and was just going to put them on the page Mm -hmm. in a way that Brandon is not. Mm -hmm. And so now you've got me wondering, is this, Mm -hmm. not that this is a kink of Brandon's, but like, does he like some, does he have some subconscious like thing going on here that he's doesn't realize that he's putting in the page? Cause I don't think of him as in touch with himself in the way that Claremont is. (laughs) I mean, I, I think that, there are a lot of reasons that a person might find it like sort of personally satisfying to depict a particular type of relationship over and over, you know, um, mm-hmm. like I don't want to speculate about whether Brandon Sanderson sees himself as the dad or as the spunky girl in this equation. Um, <laughs> or like why that's a thing that he wants in his life. But I, I, you know, yeah, I am also asking myself these questions is the thing. <laughs> now I'm just thinking about Dalinar and Lyft, I guess. Mm-hmm. As, like, the most modern version. I also, I also just think that, like, he... Like, all of his... Uh, all of his spunky young girl protagonists go to balls and, like, do the big, like, very nice gowns thing. And, like... I think this is just a fixation of his, maybe in fiction, more than, like... Yeah. Like, yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. I I don't want to, like, I I think it's... It's a cute little scheme, honestly. Like, it was the most excited I've been for this book. I'm like, oh, Brandon's gonna write a big ball. Like, cool. (laughs) He's good at those scenes. Like, I like like those, you know? (laughs) I feel like I... It may have sounded like I'm... I, I think it's, like, good and healthy. For people to have, like, relationship dynamics that they find it interesting to explore through fiction. Like, I mm-hmm. I, I don't want to imply by saying that I think maybe Brandon Sanderson is, like, working something out here. That I think that it's, like, somehow inappropriate. You know what I mean? I think it's good. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it makes for, like, fun and interesting art, um, at the very least. Who doesn't love when new girl in town goes to the ball and doesn't understand the local, like etiquettes necessarily and and just has to like do her best and meet people yeah and it's i mean you go you go and 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 what if there were a bunch of like you know uh grandpas there to like maybe make her feel a little embarrassed but also like protect her from like boys who would actually be weird 
Like, I feel like I can see mm-hmm. how this is going to go and how it's going to be charming. I'm looking forward to it. I yes. just keep thinking about, like, the visual novel version of this, where you have Sereni on one side of the screen, and then the other side is three old guys <laughs> stacked on top of each other, and one of them fades to the front as he's talking, and then the other one fades in in front of it as he's talking, oh, and they're at a ball. Yes. No, 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 you choose the uncle that you take to the ball, and depending on, like, oh, that's the uncle who's gonna, like, ward off any boys with the shotgun, and that's the uncle who's gonna see you eyeing the boy and encourage you to go talk to him like and that's the <laughs> uncle who's just got knives this is yeah absolutely those are the those are the roots is like yeah it's but the but the, the first one the first one you have all three <laughs> i God. i think brandon will be pretty good at writing a visual novel um, yeah oh yeah he would fucking crush it <laughs> uh so yeah, so they, they, they come up with that plan. Um, and, and, and then they just sort of uh, start talking about, like, what are they trying to do in general? Like, what are they going to do to try to oppose the king, given that they can't do all the stuff that they were hoping to do with Raiden? Um, and uh, it does seem like they're all kind of, like, depressed about it, like... I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there used to be 30 guys and now there's only five. So you can't really blame any of them for being pretty doubtful about what they will actually be able to accomplish. And they're also all in grief about their prince, who was also to them basically a god. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was their special little boy and he's dead now. <laughs> I guess we have to do a military coup now. <laughs> Damn. Um. Yeah, like they 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 talk about the options that they discuss. Um, they include recruiting a plurality of the nobility, using military force, and at Serini's suggestion, which is ultimately accepted, freeing their farm workers to improve their morale and productivity and undermine Iadon's decrees. Um, oh, there's so much about labor in this. Yeah. <laughs> I had a hard time on some level parsing exactly what Serini's proposal here was. Well, it's hard to tell because we don't know what the fuck the status of the laborers is right now. Like, what is she proposing freeing them from? And what to? (laughs) (laughs) Like, it seems like what this is doing is sort of a... um, The ultimate freedom is like a small business owner. Yes. Uh, so, Serini is, uh, I mean, she is proposing kind of, like, land reform, I guess is one way of putting it. Although it also maybe is a return to the former system of landholding. We don't really know what that was before. Um, mm-hmm. We talked about it for like an hour and a half last time and came to very few conclusions. Because we just don't I'm... fucking know how it was before ten years ago. They, it, it just has not been made clear. But mm. they say that the worst problem with Iodon's system. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, so so she, she, in the process of making the argument that what the nobles should do is, uh, like, sort of free their serfs, if they could be called serfs, unclear... Uh, but but free them. Ancient Fjordel serfs. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and then give they them. They show up here in this chapter. And the, the point being, free the peasants and give them land. 
Mm-hmm. Um, like, give each peasant a parcel of land and be like, this is yours now, you're going to work it, and I'm going to let you keep some percentage of what it produces. Um, like, um, she's kind of proposing a sharecropping system, I think. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> um, and her... Something I said, uh, like a minute ago when we were, like, off mic, I guess, was, um, that this passage is kind of confusing to read, uh, so it kind of requires, like, effort to figure out exactly what is being said and what's being argued, and then once you put in that effort, it's not very rewarding, because what you get is kind of stupid. <laughs> um it's she is basically arguing that they should um like i it's not clear to me what their current way of allocating land to peasants to farm it is um but i think that the material changes that she's proposing from the current system are that the peasants should no longer be considered property and that they should have the right to a small percentage of the proceeds of the land that they work. Such that, mm-hmm. theoretically speaking, if they worked up the money, they could even buy that land and become independent farmers. Um. Um, when the thing that they say about what it is currently is that um, Eodon's system encourages the lords to treat their people brutally. He threatens the noblemen, taking away the titles of those who do not produce, so in turn the lords grow desperate, and they beat extra effort out of their people. Uh, it's an agreement based on greed and fear rather than loyalty. Um, yeah, the the reason that people are being exploited is because the people above them are being threatened, not because it's profitable. And, right. And furthermore, uh, in fact, this like culture of fear, I guess is bad for production and that's the real reason why it's a problem we need to uh we need to replace slavery with sharecropping in order to increase production it's it is like for for any listeners who might not like have read up on their marks. I'm going to use a word that gets used differently in like everyday parlance. It's a very idealist conception of the world and that like, you know, everybody is scared. Like the emotional landscape of, um, the, the kingdom of Aralon right now is fear. And so like that manifests in like the material world as like, you know, exploiting workers for this. It is, not uh how the world works at all um and i do at some point brandon learns what materialism is and abandons this idealist conception for the most part it's really fucking weird (laughs) the way that it's here he doesn't abandon it but like a lot of the drama of i feel the stormlight is like trying to reckon with the Mm -hmm. contradictions there and like I believe these things, but I also acknowledge these things that are material. Mm-hmm. And, like, I feel like a lot of Stormlight is him, like, bashing these things together. Like, yeah, King Good, but also King War Crime? And then just <laughs> shoving them together and trying to form a thought about it. Oh, God. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I will say, I, I think that, like, um, you know, I think you can see in this conversation an understanding that, like, um, you know, again, to, like, use some kind of, like, Marxist understandings of this, but I think this is also in this discussion, there's an understanding that, like, uh, you know, uh, ideology and, like, culture and, and, like, these emotional things that are being talked about affects the economy and that the economy and, like, the sort of political structure of the nation also affects that, like, sort of, you know, that those, like, softer or, like, ideal things that are being talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, the idea that those two sort of broad, that, like, the, the, the base and the superstructure are always affecting each other, like, that is actually a, a basic part of Marxist theory. But then, like, materialism is saying, like, okay, but ultimately it, it comes from the economic reality um, which mm-hmm. is not how this description works at all. Like, <laughs> no, it is in the, the reason to like, the reason that sharecropping will increase production is because the people who are being treated, relatively speaking, better will be more loyal. Like that is her explicit argument that loyalty creates better production. Like an emotional experience in the hearts of the workers will mean that there's more grain. Which is just not true, probably. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know enough about economics to 100% say that that's not true. But I don't think it's true. <laughs> is is Serini doing the fight for 15 here? <laughs> I mean, what she's doing is something that, you know, I would say every, like, political economic system does to some extent. Which is, you know, she is trying to like reconcile the contradictions right she is she is trying to because like this is a system that produces its own destruction in the sense that like the way that the peasants are being treated is creating unrest and that unrest is threatening to destroy this kingdom right and so doesn't someone make an accelerationist argument somewhere at the dinner table uh Is, is that a thing that happens i know there are people who are like we should just wait for the kingdom to collapse by itself which is not quite accelerationism, but, like, adjacent to it, I guess. Yeah, and, and, and like, um, so Serini is basically arguing for what she thinks will be a a big change to the system, which will nonetheless allow it to, like, continue to exist without a kind of cataclysm that they want to avoid. Um, mm-hmm. The accelerationist part is Serini's intro to her idea. Yeah, well, because yes. she, she as like a thought experiment, she says, "Well, if the system is so bad, uh, why not? Why bother overthrowing it? Why not let it overthrow itself?" Okay, yes, yes. That that line specifically is where my Marxism brain activated. It was like, okay, well, I gotta fucking understand this. Yeah, although, and, and so yeah. the way that she's actually talking about that, though, I think she because mm-hmm. okay, she says, "Why not let the system overthrow itself?" Ayandel's like, "What do you mean?" And she goes on to explain. Turn Eodon's own creation against him and force him to acknowledge its faults. Then hopefully you can work out one that is more stable and satisfactory. So I think she thinks to some extent of this land reform thing as an argument. Like, we're going to yeah. do some land reform. It's going to obviously increase our production and be like good for us. And that will be an argument against Eodon. And Eodon will have to respond to like 
the the contradiction that's been revealed in his like statement as like a political speaker um and that always works (laughs) and like i've studied a lot of history um and pointing out that the man in power lied or was wrong always works he always tucks his tail between his legs yeah like you can always simply just point out the contradictions in society and that will then make them go away you don't have to engage in class struggle to resolve them god i i feel almost bad like if you don't know the basics of marxism this is all gonna sound i think very jargony but like this is one of those places where it really feels like um, like those ideas are, are at work in the story. Like, I, I... Yes, yes. Well, and like, I could see if, if she framed it differently, if she said, well, if we do this, then production and profit will increase, and that will make, like other nobles come to our way of thinking Mm -hmm. that would be one thing it would be like if we can show like that we're making a lot more profit then like other people will start doing it our way too that's very different from we will do land reform to own the king and he'll have to like he'll have to be like well played good sir but what's the connective (laughs) tissue between them getting more money and iodon not judging titles by in by income right and and it's it's also yeah i mean the connective tissue is when she says hopefully you can work out the one that's more stable and satisfactory but why in what way first of all in what way does this undermine iodon's thing of like like Oh, we gave them a little land, and then we took 10% of what they made. Therefore, you should not judge, you should not grant grant and uh, revoke nobility titles based on income. Because even the peasants can do good? <laughs> Is this supp- trying to say, like, well... Look, you can't do a meritocracy because then anyone could be in charge. Uh, <laughs> like, is that where... Th- I don't understand where this is going. Yeah. It, it feels like this... The part where this is supposed to somehow undermine Iodon gets kind of thrown aside in favor of the, well, it will increase production argument. And, like, it, it kind of ends up resolving on... Royal is like, well, your evidence that doing this land reform will increase production is kind of flimsy. Like, things were really different before in the Rio, and I'm not really sure you can, like, draw this line. And she's like, well, then let's try this experiment and get the evidence, and I'll show you that this will work. And it's like, okay, so now the discussion is about how we can maximize our profit. We're not actually talking anymore about our problems with the political system in this country. And, like... <laughs> is the is the idea that if we get richer than Iodon, then we're king now? <laughs> uh. <laughs> is that what the idea is? Because there is also there is a way that this makes Serini look like fucking evil. In that, oh, like, oh, is it the part where she says the saddest thing about Iodon's system is not what it does to the people, nor is it the fact that it destroys the morality of the country? No, most pitiful is the fact that it does both of these things without making noblemen any richer. Is that <laughs> yeah, the part? <laughs> yeah, like, it's an extremely, like, 
almost sort of like Nancy Pelosi sort of thing of like, <laughs> we will placate the poors uh, while we make as much money as we can. Like, yeah. like, or like, what if the, I told you we could make the poors happier and exploit even more from them because they perceive themselves to have more freedom? God. Yeah, exactly. Um, And, and I also want to point out, by the way, that, that, a, a, I was saying, like, oh, this all winds up on, well, I'll show you, it'll increase production. But actually, her, her last, last word on this plan is um, about its moral necessity. <laughs> she's mm-hmm. telling Lord Royal that he's going to do her plan because he's a patriot, and he knows that this is what is right, and this will, like, make up for what he's done to this country. Um, and what she means by that, I believe... Because Royal is the one who's buddies with Eodon, right? So, at the very end, she's kind of bringing it back to, like, this is the just thing to do. But I don't think she's saying this is just to do because it is the right thing to do for the the, the peasants. They deserve to not be uh, owned anymore. Um, she seems to be arguing that it's the right thing to do because it will somehow oppose Eodon? Because she's leaning on this thing that she hopes Royal feels guilty about? what you have done to this country, which, I don't know, like, I don't know what moral appeal she's making here, actually. She's just making one. She had to depend on her impression that his heart was good, and that in his long life he had seen and understood how far his country had fallen. The collapse of Elantris had been a catalyst, but the greed of the nobility had been the true destroyer of his once grand nation. The, The tiny bit of slack that I will cut Brandon here is that the chapter then moves to end on, like, a private conversation between Kian, uh, this royal, and um, Serini, where this character is like, "Hey, you kind of like you almost lost me at the end there. Like that, pu- that like last push you made to like make a moral appeal to me, like kind of didn't, almost didn't work, you know." Yeah. Um, but it's like beneath everything else, I believe you are a patriot. You know what is right and what. It- and this is it. Don't tell me you've never felt any guilt for what you have done to this country. Like, what, been a noble? Well, like, and, and, is she talking about the ten years that he's been a noble? No, she's definitely not talking about that. She's definitely talking about helping Eodon to set up the current system. Because, I mean, Royal also acknowledges his guilt for that later. He says, mm. you know, um, he's basically talking about why he feels that he and Keen couldn't take the leadership role that Rayadin had. And he says, and me, they all know that I helped Eodon start this monstrosity that has slowly killed our country. So, like, everyone, I guess, kind of blames him for the current status quo, even though he's helping them change it, question mark? Um. I'm gonna grab my phone real quick. I'll be right back. Yeah, it's, it's... They are all agreed that the current state of the nation is, like, really bad and that, like, everything sucks. But it's not actually clear to me what's so bad about the current situation for them. Like, I mean, it is... We had that thing that outlined why each of them might have reasons to oppose the king, but, like, it's weird that they all agree that, like, this country is ruined because they don't all have the same reasons for supporting this cause, actually. This like that vibe would would feel more appropriate if they were like, "Hey, uh, we've been fucking around, and suddenly like our whole country got a new religion in a month. <laughs> uh, what's going on? Like, 
like nothing has happened that we know of other than just like i guess the only even only one of them is like threatened by iodon yeah um yeah it's really unclear to me what the sense of like degradation in kai is supposed to be unless it's literally just well it was better when we had a bunch of immortal god kings ruling us and it's like well that changing (laughs) is not any of these people's fault and also i think i get it i like i think i feel like what's the attempt being made is that elantris is experiencing a rapid physical degradation and kaye is experiencing a rapid like morale like degradation or like a like a social decline yeah um under like this this king who doesn't really know what he's doing or he's like exploiting people and like not really caring or you know etc just a bad king um but i don't feel like we've seen anything like that because our pov character is the princess yeah it's and we don't have like a pov into like what is the day-to-day of a person in this country we saw that guy being traded but like it's like what is different from now versus like six years ago versus like eight years ago it's like we're being told that there's a crisis going on but we're not seeing any evidence of it um and and like there's no sense that like the things that are being described as problems are not crises that feel recent they're just the nature of the class system which like does suck but like why do these people care there are other things happening like we know for instance that most of the world is under the fjordal empire yeah um they don't mention that at all they don't act like oh oh no this empire is spreading it's only a matter of time before we're all speaking Fjordan or whatever. Like, there's no, there's there's no invocation of that at all, or acknowledgement that that that's happening. All of their strife is purely internal. Yeah, I, it, it. I feel like also I, there's a little more to the summary of this chapter that's worth getting to, and I think it, it's also to the point that you're making. Um, you know, in this little conversation with Wyle and Keen and Sereni. Uh, they talk about the idea that, like, Sereni can maybe take Raiden's place as a, as a leader of this group. Um, and uh, uh, Sereni suggests that maybe Eodon had Raiden killed, um, which I was glad right. I was glad to see because I've been saying, like, I think I said a few episodes ago that I can't believe Sereni didn't immediately conclude that. So I appreciate that she's, you know, now seriously considering that. But, um... But the other two are, like, pretty uh, uncertain about it and, like, don't really seem to think it makes sense because it's, like, um... His own son? Yeah, and I mean, I guess the idea is, like, Royal is personal friends with Eodon, so it's hard for him to believe this. But, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, guys, you were planning a coup, like, mm-hmm. you were kind of doing a little bit of treason. Like, people often get killed when that's found out about. Shouldn't you be at least a little worried that maybe the cops are on to you? Like, well, and also, like, in this in this moment, um, 
I think Serini, maybe someone else floats the idea that, oh, maybe Raiden's not actually dead. And they, like, 100% hit, like, oh, you could have had a body double, whatever disease, like, really disfigures someone or whatever. The coughing shivers. The coughing shivers really disfigures someone. So they absolutely 100% hit on the thing that happens, and no one is like, well, why would he, why would they have had a funeral for him? Why would they have faked his death? Like, they hit on it, and then they can't think of any possible reason that they would fake his death, so they discard that idea. (laughs) Uh, she says, when a monarch dies, uh, when a monarch decides to destroy a rival, he usually makes sure to do so in a permanent way. There are too many stories about lost heirs that reappear after 20 years in the wilderness to claim their rightful throne. It's such a stupid statement, because it's like, uh, isn't the fact that Yadon is, like, not good at this king shit, like, one of the fundamental premises of your whole little thing? Um. And if, if you're gonna be a king and you're gonna make a dumb mistake, like disinheriting the heir who shows up 20 years later to be like oh actually i have the rights that is like dumb king mistake number one yeah (laughs) like in fact we've literally had a moment earlier in this book where serini was like isn't Yidon worried about a succession crisis any smart king would be worried about a succession crisis in this context and it's like wow but he isn't because he's bad at this so like are you really so sure that he wouldn't do something that would potentially cause a succession crisis if he if he's gonna wring like the surplus value of all the laborers till they break you really think he's not gonna like overextend in every other part of running a kingdom until Mm. those things break to try and get what he wants yeah yeah it's like um yeah just man um um and then we talk a little more about seons because um serini has sent hers to poke around elantris and she's like, yeah, that priest was interested in Elantra, so I wanted to figure out what was up with that. And everyone around her is like, who fucking cares about a priest? Yeah, which, <laughs> I which, forgot like, about that part. And, and, and like, there's a, a weird bit where she's she's like, look, he's actually a big deal. He's a Gjorn. Like, ask the Duladin Republic how much damage one Gjorn can do. I think this is the same guy who was responsible for that. Um, and... There's a bit, someone says, uh, Royal says, there's no sure evidence that Fjordan was behind the collapse, uh, which that's fascinating. So I guess the Duladin Republic is not, like, it's not like Fjordan, like, conquered the Duladin Republic, you know? Because if that were the case, people wouldn't be like, wow, sh- gee, I wonder if Fjordan were the ones responsible for the fall, right? Um, yeah. So I don't know what there's, like, it, I kind of wonder if just a giant hole opened up in the earth and, like, the Duladin <laughs> Republic fell in. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe, um, Hraithan did manage to convert a large population in the Dulandel Republic and it made a civil war happen. And then everyone was like, well, we don't know that Fjordan as a state was responsible for undermining this, this country. Yeah, mm-hmm. it could be. Um, anyways, we know that a Giorn was there, but like, w- is that connected? Shrug. Anyway, uh, but. In response to Royal saying, oh, there's no sure evidence, she says, there is in Teod, but no one else would believe it. <laughs> so that's... Oh, I missed that. Yeah, Trust me when I tell you that this single Gjorn could be more dangerous than Eodon. So she's got the she's she's got the receipts on how truly dangerous a Gjorn can be. I don't know what the hell that is. Um, that's gotta be, that's gotta be, like, 
the reason that Teod like kicked out everything to do with Fjordel a hundred years ago or whatever. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I don't even think it was a hundred years ago. I think I put, made up a number yeah, there. Twelve, like maybe. I don't remember, but yeah. But yeah. Um. um and <sighs> I think that's pretty much the um. There's not really anything else of like importance left in the chapter. There's just like some some hanging out and being like, "Damn, we really are going to do this, huh?" Well, we better be careful. Reading this chapter felt like it just was fucking interminable. <laughs> oh, was that because it was like 30, 38 pages long? God, this is longer than the other two chapters this week combined. It was really. Long, are you serious? And it was all so. like bad political <sighs> philosophy. What? <laughs> I was I was planning to ask this after the end of next chapter, but I'll just ask it here before we get into the next one. Can anyone tell me what the plot of this book is? Oh we're we're twenty pages away from being a third of the way through the book. Uh, I I did the math. We we're like twenty nine percent. I don't know what the plot is yet. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure that at some point in the near future, Elantris and Kai are going to, in some fashion, explode. Everyone seems mm-hmm. to believe that this is the case. Not clear to me why or how. <laughs> I mean, it, Serini and Raythan are both attempting to overthrow the status quo of Kaye. Mm-hmm. And also Rayadin is trying to do the same in Elantris. Yes. So what we're going to have is a story where three different revolutions happen. God. <laughs> In the same three square miles. I I don't necessarily want to spend an enormous amount of time on this, but I am like really kind of haunted by that line of Serini's that you quoted earlier, Nora, where she's literally like, uh, it's the, the, the major problem here is the loss of profit. Because um, mm-hmm. it's just so cartoonishly evil. Uh-huh. And it's really hard for me to understand what it's doing here. Like, I have, I guess, my best possible explanation for, like, how it's supposed to come across is that she is, like, someone who is trying to argue for something that is fundamentally morally good, but she knows that the people she's talking to don't really care about that. So she's come up with a practical argument for why they should do what she wants. And this is someone who is, like getting things done and negotiating with with people who only care about like their own needs i guess but like we don't actually know that serini cares about human freedom in fact we have plenty of reason to think that she doesn't that like the concept of you know people being slaves like we've seen her be incensed by it but i don't think she has like a fundamental understanding of like because she's literally proposing a system of sharecropping to replace it and so like she doesn't (laughs) see any way and she's not arguing to herself well this is clearly still a deeply unjust system but it will at least be a move towards something better and that's what i can get out of these nobles right now like It's very weird. It's weird. It sucks. Huh, um. Wraithen time. Yeah. 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 
a blessedly short chapter. <laughs> All right. So we got a shorter summary than even the Rayadin chapter. Hraithan daydreams about languages, the Durethi religious hierarchy, and his abilities as a preacher as he delivers a sermon to a large crowd. Diloph spontaneously follows with his own more emotional sermon, which, while a violation of Hraithan's orders, was successful and thus welcomed by Hraithan. After the sermon, Telriai approaches Hraithan and accepts an unspecified proposal. <laughs> Hraithan disciplines Diloph for disobedience, but also praises the artist. In the privacy of his office... Office? In the privacy of his office, Hraithan reveals that he has a Sion locked away and hidden, and uses it to communicate with Wern, who has his own Sion, regarding a plot involving Telriai. I think it's just Telri. Telri? There's two vowels. You've got to pronounce both. Okay. (laughs) It fucking sucks that I don't know how to say any of the words in this book. (laughs) It is a huge obstacle to my enjoyment of the novel on just a, like, basic mechanical like Kaladin Stormblast Dalinar <laughs> Colin yeah some people say Adolin some people say Adolin that's about the extent of it you know what's really fucked up what technically in universe Kelsier from Mistborn his name is pronounced Kelsier well the uh, it sounds better as Kelsier so whatever and it would be Vin. that's not true is his French. That's not true. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. I just hate that I can't say any of the names in this book. It fucking sucks ass. This is why Jackson's tweet about it is so funny. <laughs> yes. Um, so... The thing that I tweeted about this... Um, first of all, we have insight into Raythan's mind. Um... First, there's the part about language where why would I want to learn other people's languages when they're profane? But also, I'll need to do that to spread the, uh, the religion. religion. Um, but Hraithan's big commitment to his religion comes from this desire for order and meticulous, like organizational structure um rather than like a passionate like belief or love or hate um and he recognizes that as as this thing with Diloph is happening and it just i i is this brandon i is this i feel like this is brandon's like i think again not to like speculate too much on what brandon is as a person <laughs> but like when, this feels like yeah i mean something that i felt saying? very like aware of reading this passage is like the uh you know american evangelical christian understanding of like what you know what evangelizing is supposed to look like what a sermon is supposed to look like um Mm -hmm. what the things are that you say to people that successfully convince them to convert to your religion because Mm -hmm. i mean i uh find this description of sermons really bizarre because it doesn't tell us anything about the arguments that either one is making right 
Yeah. It's entirely yeah. about the style in which the argument is made. And the fact that, like, Prathen has a very, like, uh, sort of, it seems like a very classical style of argumentation that he clearly, like, learned to do in school in some way that involves modulating your voice in a certain way and, like, structuring your arguments in a certain potentially, like, maybe beautiful or especially convincing structure. Um, whereas, like, Diloph is kind of, like, wild and passionate and he's just shouting at the same volume the whole time and, like, he clearly is not using this kind of knowledge. And there's a suggestion that, therefore, the more emotional appeal is is a more powerful and more effective tool for conversion. Um, which is not even something I'm necessarily disagreeing with, I guess, because I, I don't think that people convert to religions based purely on hearing their arguments and weighing them out and being like, all right, I have been convinced, like, of the evidence. You know, I think people are converted to religions by emotional experiences, but, like, nonetheless, it's super bizarre to have two sermons in this chapter and to not get any of the content of any of them. We don't know what the points yeah. that they're making are. Well, and I think you could do something interesting with that if you have... Hraithen give his sermon and we don't get any specific lines because while he's giving the sermon he's thinking about like the social pressure of these people went to church today and that is going to put social pressure both on the people around them to come to come to church and also for them to continue to come to church because it will like reflect poorly on them if next week their friends show up and they're not there. Yeah. Like, and that's a really interesting, like that is a, a really interesting like thought. And then I think if you contrasted that with giving us actual dialogue of what Diloph is saying, because we know that it's hateful. We know for me, it evoked like a lot of like, you know, fire and brimstone, um, sort of like televangelist preaching. Um, uh, but like, I, I think I think if you had actual dialogue from what Dilov said and no dialogue from what Horathan said, I think it would work. I think if you had dialogue from both of them, it would work. But like not having any of the actual content of their sermon, just the tone is really weird. It is the way that a preacher would talk about preaching. Well, and, and I and I think um, the th the theory that Hraithen is working with reminds me of how um, the the like Diloph's method reminds me of like you know satanic panic like um, fire and brimstone preaching that is a very common practice in America, but like perhaps even more insidious is the, the Joel Osteen's of the world um, that I think Horathan is kind of like in that same sort of thing of like, we have this mega church because we got a small number of people to buy in who got like, if I get you to buy in and you get three of your friends to buy in and then they get three of their friends and then you all have to keep coming because your friends are here and you feel the social pressure. Like that is a, a real world thing um, that I think you can talk about without having the content of the sermon, but I think like this, I, I think it's just the whole chapter is a little too detached, you know? Yeah. I also think that like, it's really like, it's really confusing to me to have it portrayed as though 
simply seeing passionate hatred is enough for people to feel compelled by a speech. Because, like, that's not... Seeing passionate emotions is not, like, inherently appealing, right? Like, the reason people are compelled by this speech about hating the Elantrians is that they all already kind of don't like the Elantrians on some level, right? Like, they are Mm -hmm. seeing an emotion that they have felt expressed in a very powerful way and and connected to a particular religion, and, and that's why it's compelling, right? And, like, Diloph is not, you know, being calculating about this. Diloph is not thinking, like, about how his emotion affects other people. He's just expressing his emotion in this raw way. But, like, Hraithan should be thinking about that. Hraithan clearly thinks about um, emotional appeals and, like, what works on people. So, like, why is he thinking about it as this sort of abstract contrast between passion and reason rather than, like, different modes of convincing people? You know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And how both can work together. Like, like, and Hraithan gets there, but, like, it... Without acknowledging it in some way of just like he can have both of these things like he can bring Diloph along to speak at functions and like, you know, some of the people are going to be convinced by Hraithan's method and some of the people are going to be convinced by Diloph's method and like. I, I, I feel like part of what's weird here is the suggestion that like it seems like Hraithan basically envies Diloph his his true like passionate religious experience, you know, like Diloph has a real vibrancy of of belief in his hate uh that Hraithan doesn't experience and that Hraithan's kind of jealous about and like that all makes sense but I don't totally understand why like it doesn't actually seem to be what this religion is organized around you know like this religion is clearly one in which uh a sense of strict hierarchy and self-control is valued over Did we lose internet or... Oh, there you are. Oh, hey, sorry about that. Um, I just was talking about uh, how Hraithan... How Hraithan seems to, like, react to the idea of, like, passion in religion and how, like, it's weird to me that it's clearly something he, like, wishes he had. Yeah, yeah. I think the last thing that we heard you say was that, like, the the religion is organized around um self-control. around self control, and that is not like a thing that Diloph has. Yeah, it, it's it's almost as though like it it gives you the impression that rather than being from a faith that has like a very settled understanding of uh you know how arguments should be made, it makes it seem as though Hraithan comes from a faith with like, a much more active debate about, Mm -hmm. like, what emotions you're supposed to feel, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, he just seems sort of theologically threatened by Diloph in a way that is weird to me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, we get more about Raythan's love of structure in in regards to this. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, talking about, like, he, uh, he'd always been a calculating man, organized, careful, and attentive to detail, 
Similar things in Shudareth, its standardized orderly method of governing, along with its logical philosophy, were when it had first attracted him to the priesthood. He had never doubted the church. Something so perfectly organized couldn't help but be right. And it's just like... If you're really invested in, like, a religious experience, it I bet it is pretty weird when you see someone have a completely opposite like path to the same place you know yeah um, you know yeah that does actually that does go a certain way towards explaining how like have have thrown how like shook he is by Diloph, you know um and of course like his reaction is once he's like recovered he's like okay i can exploit this <laughs> yeah no it's okay i i got this i think you know i think what it is that that seems so strange to me is just that like uh, a discussion like this over, you know, whether sort of passion or reason is a better way to serve God or is a better way to convince people. It just feels like maybe Raythan is approaching this debate for the first time in his life. Like, maybe this is the mm. first time he's seen someone be passionate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Raythan is sort of a Ben Shapiro in this instance. <laughs> God. Um... And then Tellery shows up at the end. And be like, oh, that was smart what you did. And and then Raven's like, yeah, the thing I did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's also the part of... Um, the thing that I kept thinking about in this chapter is like... This also, to me, had a little hint of... Um, like... old man young man tension of like oh this this guy is all young and and passionate and i'm i'm not like that should i be should i feel insecure about this should i Mm. should i like feel a certain way about this or like how do i how do i feel about this um i I think i hear what you're saying yeah I don't really know how to explain it better. But. Well, it feels like maybe Diloph is a little bit of a threat to Hraithan's masculinity. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, that makes sense. Um, it is very funny to see that something like that take place um, in such a totally sexless context. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially, especially given that we haven't even been told that these priests aren't allowed to like have sex or get married, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, I think, you know, based on the fact that something like that has not even slightly come up, it feels like they are probably celibate priests. But I guess it's totally possible that they're just very busy with their priest stuff and aren't thinking about, like, women. It's just, I'm just very busy with my main man, Diloph. We've, we've got a lot of stuff to do. Doing heterosexual things. Yeah. Um, two bros sitting in the chapel. With um, a strict hierarchical relationship between the two of them. That, yeah. that one of them... Look, I don't have time to have sex. I have to manage the conversion of an entire city with my lifestyle sub. <laughs> with my with my dog man. 
<laughs> who who keeps going off the leash and like expressing his like raw passions too much. Um anyway, Rathan then goes to his room and meditates for half an hour before he feels confident enough to open his secret box that has the heretical uh, magic of another religion in it, um, which is a Sion. And we don't know its name, I don't think, but... No. Uh, it says... It says hi, and um, Rathan it... says, shut the hell up. You need me, my lord? The Sion asked in a soft, feminine voice. To which he immediately says, be quiet! You know you're not to speak. <laughs> and, oh, and then the ball of light bobs submissively. I don't really know how that works. <laughs> it's, um... Do you think... Do you think that the reason that this Sion addresses Hraithan, even though it is not supposed to speak to him, is because that's like a subtle rebellion, you know? Like, th the only thing I can do is to say, do you need me, my lord? So I'm going to do that. Or do you think it's that the Sion is totally, like, subservient and kind of, like, stupid about it? And so, like, can't go against its programming to say, do you need me, my lord? I, I will give Brandon a little bit of credit in that I think probably this is going to be developed, hopefully. Because, like, we have had it established that, like, Sion's are, like you know, wise, the wisest, wiser than any man I knew, and oh, it was my best friend, and I'm always hanging out with this guy. So... <laughs> New type of guy. Blowing ball of light. I'm sure, like, I'm sure that this thing where they're keeping Sion's in boxes and, like, only speaking to them maybe once every few months and using them, like, exclusively as a long-distance communication system, I'm sure we're meant to think that that's pretty fucked up. Oh, um, Yeah. But on the other hand, I think we are meant to think that the thing where other people are keeping them as palm pilots and using them to Skype, but they also, like, talk to them and hang out with them, I think we're meant to find that cute and good and not evil. Yes. Um, well, it's okay to have a pet as long as you don't mistreat it. Right. What if you had a parrot and you kept it in a box for six months and only it used die. it... It No, hold on. <laughs> What if you ever after six months you took out your ex parrot and you said a word to a, a message to it that it would then repeat when it flew off to the king and and that was what your pet was for. Um, and Hraithan really doesn't trust his Sion at all. Um, no, because people, it's like, oh, like people in power all across the world use these to talk to each other. How many schemes have? have Sion's just, like, been privy to. And it's like... Yeah? That is what Google does. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's... I mean... I do feel like he's probably not being totally unreasonable in the sense that it's like... I don't know how good an idea it is to use the magic of your enemies as your long-distance, top-secret spying technique. Especially when, like, clearly Sion's can talk to each other long distance, right? That's how this works. Um, but it's not clear to me, you know, if I if I have my Sion A and I talk to Sion B, are A and B recording that conversation in some way? I mean, obviously they remember it. 
uh, can they then talk to C and tell C all about this conversation? Like, what, mm -hmm. if anything, other than their loyalty, which clearly Hraithen is a little concerned about, um, keeps them from revealing all your secrets? And, I mean, uh, supposedly, the way the Sion's magic works, they are always faithful and loyal, even to masters who hate them. Um... But how does that start? Is there like a ritual you do? Is it something that you are just like you inherit from someone else? Like I know that Serenis she inherited, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. It seems like there has to be some sort of formal process by which a person is bonded to a Sion, and clearly it's one that you know Hraithen has undergone. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly don't blame him for being pretty suspicious of this magic because clearly his people, clearly no one really understands how Sions work. And, like, certainly his people don't, you know? Yeah. <sighs> Nora and I both did a big yawn. Should we, <laughs> should we wrap it up? Yeah, I'm ready to wrap it up. I think that's basically the end of this chapter, right? Well, last thing, um, they talk about how the Elantrians made Sion's, and since they're not around, nobody's making new ones. Oh, um, I missed that. Once Fjordan conquered the West, Hraithen doubted no one would ever see Sion's floating around freely again. Yes. So they're going to put and we also, in prison, I guess. And we also get um, him saying to the Wern, I have a plan, oh great one, for for one of the uh, lords of Aralon. And then it like cuts to, you know, Graydon doing whatever it's Raiden's doing. Mm -hmm. so. um, yeah. Uh, that's chapter 12. We're, we're getting into it. I want something to happen. <laughs> this book is not good. What if it turns out to be great? I what mean, if you're a fool? I think that these 12 chapters are bad 12 chapters. I don't think that has to mean the whole book is bad. Mm -hmm. But I don't think anything that happens later on is going to make, like, the pacing or the character writing or the political economy of these first 12 chapters <laughs> no, <that's true>. good <laughs> i think maybe the political economy is unsalvageable at this point the characters and the plot salvageable sure mm -hmm. but the um the political economy pretty permanently fucked in my mind <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm i'm hoping to just kind of like enjoy the ride and like because you know i it is fun and interesting to like encounter these just like wild political statements like i do keep being surprised by them um it's yeah. just it's just that sometimes they also make me very sleepy <laughs> <sighs> yeah well, tilly where could people find you online uh you can find me on twitter at char asnablunt uh, like the Gundam character with Blunt at the end. And I am also on a podcast on the Abnormal Mapping Network called Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements, which is about reading Moby Dick, uh, which is a much better book. <laughs> <laughs> Nora, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at NeitherNora. You find stuff I do at NoraBlake.online. I also have a podcast on the Abnormal Mapping Discord. No? A network? I post it in the Discord, which is Journal Updated. Uh, a video game podcast. We're gonna. We just finished the Mass Effect trilogy. We're gonna cover Dishonored: Death of the Outsider. This at the end of this month, it'll go up on the first. Uh, and after that, we'll close out the year with 
Mass Effect Andromeda. <laughs> I'm excited for your Mass Effect Andromeda episode because Me too. Uh, I think we're gonna have a guest on. Yeah, I happen I happen to I happen to know about the guest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the guest sounds hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the guest is giving me the finger right now. <laughs> You can't know that because you don't know who the guest is. It's a fucking secret. (laughs) Autumn, where can people find you online and how can people support the show? You can find me on Twitter at a tunnel underscore coffee. I've got a pinned tweet with my two other podcast, my three other podcasts. Um, Two of them. I do three podcasts on the Export Audio Network, and I do one podcast on the, on the Abnormal Mapping Network, and you can support all the Export Audio podcasts, all the ones that I do, all the ones that Nora does, all the ones that neither of us do, um, at patreon.com slash exportaudio or exportaud.io. Um, there is also, and I don't have this in the pinned tweet, but if you go to my Twitter, you'll find it pretty easily, Export has a YouTube channel now? I'm yeah. uploading... Some uh, Let's Plays of Resident Evil Remake, to be specific. Um, And I believe Nora is maybe going to play a Final Fantasy game sometime in the future. Um, Maybe. We will see. Um, So, yeah. Throw us a a dollar on Patreon. Um, We get all sorts of bonus content. My favorite export podcast is Duo Lane, which is a Patreon-exclusive one, so... Duo Lane is um, really good. I was I was listening to Duo Lane earlier um, when I was halfway through reading the Serini chapter, and I had to make myself some coffee. While I was making the <laughs> coffee, I listened to Duo Lane. <laughs> we got an episode of Export after this, and I might make a second cup of coffee just to like give myself a little boost. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Well, uh, until next time. Bill Bottom. <laughs> no? um, I don't know. Until next time, oppose Brandon Sanderson. <laughs>